Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, great to have you here with the show today. Got a special show today because uh, Chase is off today. But uh, we do have a special guest coming in who is a uh, tax attorney, an, att an attorney, uh, Ronson J. Shimon, who is CEO and principal attorney at uh, RJS Law. You may have heard them. They're a big tax firm here in uh, San Diego. But he's going to be joining me here in a few minutes talking about uh, trust and taxes and these things to really help you out uh, through those uh, difficult things there. Uh, as always, we do have our things we want to talk about beforehand uh, to try to keep you informed of what's going on financially. Uh, I want to talk about inflation because inflation has been a problem since, uh, what, last June? Inflation, however, continues to retreat from the high levels we saw last year. Now, May's CPI report showed headline inflation rose 4% when compared to last year. This is a nice deceleration from last month's 4.9% gain, and it's well off last year's 9% increase, as I said. Uh, areas that remain hot in the report include motor vehicle repair, up 19.7%, motor vehicle insurance, up 17.1%, and food was up 6.7%. Now, many energy costs have seen large year-over-year -year declines, and gasoline in particular is down, well, it's down about 20%. There are also other areas in the report that are showing signs of declines. This includes airfares, and this surprised me because airfares, everybody's still traveling, but airfares were down about 13.4%. Happy to see this one. Used car and trucks were down 4.2%. Major appliances down 10%. And televisions, well, if you want to buy TV, I think now's the time to do it. Uh, they were down 11.5%. Core inflation, which in excludes food and energy, was somewhat of a disappointment as it rose 5.3% compared to last year. Now, I always got to comment on core inflation because core inflation does take out food and energy. I know they do it because it's very volatile, but it is probably two of the most important items that they kick out. So I'm not a big advocate of core inflation. The Fed watches it, so that's why we talk about it. But core inflation has not cooled as much as the headline number. It is important to remember that the shelter index rose 8% compared to last year, and that accounted for over 60% of the gain in core inflation. We continue to believe the shelter index will decline substantially as we exit the year, and we'll be uh, in a major uh, in reducing core inflation. Uh, and, and this happens because we see rents are starting to come down, housing prices starting to come down. Uh, so we think that that number being such a big part of CPI will help to continue to decline or reduce inflation. Speaking of inflation, we do have the PPI. Now, PPI is producer price index, and that is what the producers see. So what happens is that they pass their costs on to the consumer. This is where it all starts. So we saw more positive news on the inflation front as producer price index, the PPI for the month of May, came in at a gain of, listen to this, only 1.1% compared to last year. That is enormous. That's huge. Uh, this compares to last month's reading of 2.3% and its lowest reading since December of 2020. 
was also well off last May's reading of 11.1%. This continues to fuel my belief that inflation will be much smaller problem as we exit the year. And I think by sometime next year, we'll be very close to that 2% level that the Fed wants. Companies no longer have the need to pass on the huge increases in prices they saw last year to the consumer. And we've talked about this many times here on the show in our newsletter about how prices are declining on raw material costs. This is starting to show up in the PPI, the producer price index. So that will be passed on to the consumer. So inflation, we continue to see it fall. I do believe by the end of the year, we'll see it probably in the, in the three area. Uh, so I do not think we'll have any more increases from the Fed. Let's talk about the consumers because people may continue to complain about the economy, but the consumer is still spending. Retail sales in May showed a gain of 1.6% compared to last year. There are some areas that remain negative, which include furniture and home furnishing stores. They were down 6.4%, no surprise there. And electronics and appliances stores, well, they were down 5%. But the biggest negative in the report was gasoline stations, which saw sales decline 20.5%. Much of this is due to the, the uh, decline in gas prices. That was a big way on the report. And if it was excluded from the headline number, well, retail sales would have actually risen by 4%. I would actually consider this a positive as consumers are able to spend in other areas of the economy rather than wasting money at the gas station. Areas that were strong in the report include non-store retailers up 6.5%, health and personal care services up 7.8%, and food services and drinking places, which also known as bars, uh, they were up 8%. Overall, this report shows me the consumer still feels good enough to keep spending, which I believe is a positive for the economy. So good things going forward. I know you see the negative news. You watch the, the regular mainstay media. Oh my gosh, things are terrible. They try to talk about how bad things are. We are seeing some positive signs, which we point out to you all the time here on our show and also in our newsletter and our post as well. Um, I do see that uh, Ronnie just came in. Uh, Ronnie, are you all, is he all set up here, Frank? Good yeah, morning, I'm all Ronnie. set up. Good all morning, right. Brett. We're good. I'm glad you made it here. I know we had a little difficulty with the address and stuff, but glad you're here. Uh, let me talk about one more thing about the investment choices, then I want to interview you about some great things we got here for our listeners. So bear with me for one minute. Take your time. All righty. Uh, so investment choices, have you ever showed up at a party early and we're the only one there? Well, it can be kind of boring, but you know, you, you know the party will start soon and it will get better. That is happening to many investors now, unless you're in a few tech companies that mention the term AI. If you hold in your portfolio healthcare companies, financial, real estate, or energy, it's been a very disheartening year to date with those sectors going down. Don't give up yet. Stay at the party a little longer as there's light at the end of the tunnel. We see such things as the American Association of Individual Investors shows that bears outnumber bulls by eight percentage points. Usually, now this is normally, the bulls outpace the bears by 6.5 points. A survey from the Bank of America, managers overseeing trillions of dollars in assets, show their cash position is now nearly 6% of a portfolio. This is up from under 4% at the end of 2021. The average peak for cash is just over 6%. I believe in the second half of this year, you'll see these managers trying to play catch up and get their money invested soon. The S&P 500 has come out of the 248-day bear market, 
which was the longest since 1948. And that number surprised me. I read it twice. Like, yeah, that's the, the, the worst since uh, 1948. Uh, but by the end of the year, I believe we'll see a nice catch-up in the sectors, the S&P 500, that have been lagging. I would not expect to see much in the technology stocks. And I would say, at best, they'll probably be treading water. So grab a glass of wine and be a little more patient, as I believe you'll be celebrating during the holidays of 2023 if you hold the right companies. If you like these topics and want to hear more about other companies that we have or other topics we have uh, in the newsletter, we talk about online banking, shadow banks, productivity, so many things we did to look at there. It is a free newsletter. It goes out every Friday at 5 o'clock. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And right in the middle, you'll see the newsletter. Click on that, sign up. It'll go out every uh, Friday at 5 o'clock. I think you'll enjoy the information. All right, well, let's move on to our, our guest here, uh, Ronson Shimon. Ronnie, good morning. Hi. It's okay if I call you Ronnie. I mean... Yeah, of course. A lot of people call me Ronnie. Okay, great. Because I always call you, I've known you for years now. I always call you Ronnie. Just want to make sure on the professional side that we're calling you Ronson here. Um, all right, so so you're here. And, and tell us a little bit about your background, your firm, because we see your billboards all over town. I know you do some high-profile cases. So give some us and the listeners some background on, on yourself here. Yeah, wonderful. My, uh, my, I'm the owner of RJS Law. It's a mid-sized tax law firm. We have about 14 lawyers, about 30 staff. Uh, I started this firm about 20 years ago. Uh, we are a full-service tax law firm. We handle everything from estate planning to international tax to tax controversies, uh, tax planning, anything affiliated with tax, state and federal, civil or criminal uh, we we solve those problems, and I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of School of Law School School of Law and School of Business, and I also we have also started a tax institute with the University of San Diego, where individuals could come learn about tax, and that's hosted every summer. And, and you know, and I'm a pretty busy person. I think you're one of the few people that is busier than I am. I think you do more than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> well, we enjoy what we do. I, I love managing money. I love working with the people. And I think you love the law. You love working with the people as well. And, and you do a great job. I mean, I, I, I love going to your events and seeing people there. You're just a, a, a great guy with people. Well, thank you so much, Brent. Well, well let, let's talk about some things here. We'll start off with some easy ones here for you. Uh, and and this, is, this is always a question for people. Uh, I'll ask you directly. When should you have a trust and why is it, is it important to have one? Well, if you if, if you own a piece of real estate, then you should own a trust so you avoid probate costs and, and it avoids the whole year of transitioning between when somebody dies, what are they going to do? And the transition is difficult. So a trust would automatically allow the asset to transfer to an heir. And it also would avoid probate, which would take almost a year of time and tons of money. And if you're an individual who has children, you know, the trust, you should create a guardianship for your children. And it also just saves money and time. And it's just a no-brainer for anybody who owns a piece of real estate, they should own a trust. And anybody who has children should have a guardianship to make sure that if something happens to the both of them, that somebody's that there's a document there that would take care of what's going to happen to their children. It, you know, it's funny because many times people don't think about that and you don't want your, your children left with some sister or brother who maybe you didn't want them to go to. And that could happen. So that's why you want to have that guardianship set up in case something happens to you, correct? Exactly. I mean, most people don't realize when they talk to their spouses that they're in disagreement as who's going to help the children if, if something happens. And then when something happens to the both of them at the same time, it would avoid all that going back and forth. The children know exactly who's going to take care of them. If a trust is in place, then all the provisions are there to take care of these children with the money of the assets. So it avoids a lot of headache and time and it gives you a lot of certainty when you die. You know, we always 
always hear about probate, but but what does probate cost? I mean, I think you said it's going to delay things by a year. Uh, gosh, that's a terrible time frame because who knows what's going to happen with the investments. You could have bills to pay. I mean, probate sounds like just a, a, a terrible way to go, and especially with the real estate because you got to probably sell the house. Do you also have to pay uh, perhaps uh, the federal estate taxes as well during this time frame? Uh, kind of explain a little bit more about how the probate thing works. Sure. Here. So so if you if you have a trust, then immediately upon death, Immediately upon death, that trust instrument will prevail. So the assets are owned in the trust, and then post-death, whatever the explicit terms of the trust will guide you as to where the asset goes. Also, there's provisions immediately there to have family members access to the bank accounts, to be able to um, pay bills on behalf of the individuals. If there's the guardianship, that will take place. Um, if you let's say you have a tenant in the building or you want to get something out, probate is a whole year process. It's a percentage of the estate, and it costs almost probably a hundred thousand dollars for a typical estate here if you own a house. And there, there, if you had tenants in the buildings, if you had anything, that whole year of ambiguity could cost you way more money without having that ability to jump in and make decisions right away. And, and all this can be avoided by just planning, doing the doing a trust, and maybe other things involved as well. Because if you don't do that, and like, and I know we all think, I can't believe how old I am now. We all think, oh, we're going to live forever. And I was just talking to my sister in New York, and she knows somebody that the, the husband died at 45. Right. And it's just like, obviously didn't expect that to happen. And now there's a problem. Like, well, what happens with this? What happens with that? Planning is so important. And I know it's like, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. So important to do that early. And it only costs a few thousand dollars for an estate plan. And that will mm -hmm. cover a trust, a will, an advanced health care directive. That is a big one that a lot of people didn't realize during COVID. If you had an advanced health care directive, then that would allow other family members to be able to access the hospitals during that time to be with their loved ones. So if you get a complete estate plan, you get a guardianship, you get an advanced health care directive, you get a durable power of attorney, you have a trust and a will, and it's only a few thousand bucks to do, anybody should do it because of the amount of savings and money and time, it's an absolute no-brainer. And, you know, and I know that because we have a lot of listeners, there's somebody out there saying, yeah, I need to do that, I need to do that. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? By website, phone? What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? They could call my office or just shoot me an email, and then one of somebody from my office will give them a call. And, and what's the phone numbers? Do you have a, the, the website address? Yeah, my phone number is area code 619-777-7700. 619-777-7700. Or my website is www.rjslawfirm.com. That's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that website. Ours is kind of hard to, because it got to Wilson asset management or we use smartinvesting2000.com but rjslawfirm.com wow firm so you gotta put that firm in there you gotta make sure that's in there uh another thing too that you do and and you have a lot of attorneys that specialize in this you you run the firms you got some great attorneys that specialize in these different things for people but but also too uh, what are some good tax deductions a business owner individuals can take to save on taxes we all want to do that all the time we all hate taxes we hate paying it especially with what the government does with those taxes sometimes yeah how can we uh, save, save some there? For, for, for business owners, there's a lot of things that you could do. With the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, for example, Section 179, you could purchase equipment and take immediate 100% deductions for a lot of equipment. So you could finance big equipment purchases with zero money out of your pocket, and you'll be able to get 100% deduction for these. So you're actually positive cash flow during that year. I'm also purchasing real estate. If you you know get, use an SBA loan, buy the buildings that your that, that your business is in. If you're able to do that, that will generate some good depreciation and tax deductions. 
and also just any equipment, any uh, qualified improvements under the the tax jo- cuts and jobs act uh, before for qualified improvements. If you want to remodel your building and so forth, a lot of those things used to have to be amortized, but now you could take a one-time lump deduction. So you should spend money on your business, buy inventory and fix it up. And you'll be able to get some additional tax benefits that way. And what about any tax credits that people can get at all? I know that I think they're kind of disappearing, but any tax credits that people can work with? Well, right now they still have with with the with the COVID aid, there's the employee retention tax credit. You know, you remember about the days where they had the PPP loans and the EIDL loans, but they still have the employment retention tax credit. And people don't realize that that's an additional credit outside of the PPP loan that is for qualified businesses that either had a reduction in sales or some sort of partial suspension. So, for example, restaurants all qualify because there was an actual suspension of their business and there was a, a shutdown for their, let's say, the indoor dining. But a lot of businesses don't realize that um, if you had employees and you suffered some sort of partial suspension, that you would qualify for this credit. It could be the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. And that's a benefit that the government passed that should be taken advantage of for anybody that does qualify. And, and Ronnie, I've not seen this advertised anywhere at all. I mean, people don't even know about this. And and so your firm does take care of this. Correct? Yes, yes. <clears throat> I mean, actually, there, there are a lot of, you, you'll see it now. I mean, there, you know, ever, ever since this spread out, there's a lot of these tax boutique tax companies. You'll see right. these, you know, <clears throat> random companies call us now, call us now, and you don't know where they are and what they're doing. Um, but now you'll see a little bit more advertising about it. But no, it, most people don't realize about it and know if they qualify or not. And I mean, if, if they wanted to call my office, they're more than welcome to call my office for a free console to see if they qualify. Because there's so much money left on the table that's meant to give to these businesses in addition to what was given before. And, and you know, it's funny, I, I was having a dinner last night, uh, not last night, a couple nights ago with um, you know some business owners. And they were talking about there's more stuff that kind of came out from the COVID. Like, I think it's called the, is it the ERC? The yeah, P- that's the Employment Retention Credit. Right. That's the one. And they said there's another one. That, they, these things seem to keep coming out. Like, well, where are these coming from? I mean, and if you don't know what you're doing, you need to turn to somebody like you to find out, well, what are these things? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you should definitely talk to a tax tax attorney about these options because if you don't qualify for this credit, for example, then you ultimately have to pay that back. And this program um, is out there. It's still available. And it's just probably the only the program that is actually still available right now for businesses. And, and so your firm does do a free consultation. So somebody says, well, I don't know what he's talking about. Uh, they can come in, free consultation, and you'll find out, well, have you done this yet? Have you done that yet? Oh, if yeah. they haven't, yeah. Exactly. So we'll run a complete analysis. First, we want to see if they qualify by reduction in sales or other different right. qualifications. And if they don't qualify there, then we have to see if they qualify via partial suspension. And it's a big, complex formula because you have to kind of subtract out what you received in the PPP funds. This is in addition to what you received in excess of PPP. So sometimes some businesses won't qualify if their PPP funds in excess of what you would have received in the credit. But if you did not receive... Uh, but if you calculate the credit and it's in excess of the PPP funds for qualified wages, then there could be a, a lot of money at stake. Yeah. And all they need to do, pick up the phone or go to your website, free consultation to find out there's there. Well, what about the size of the business? Does it matter if they had sales of, uh, say, 100000 a year or a $10 million a year? What what, what size business should be looking It's at? based on qualified wages. So it's just the amount of employees that you have. So you could get a credit up to $26,000 per employee. 
Wow. So regardless of sales, sales is a factor of whether you qualify if there's a reduction of sales. It's not the only factor, but it's irrespective of how big your business is. So if you have 7, 10, 20, 30, whatever the amount of employees you have, usually the, the ones that don't have a lot of employees, the PPP funds usually surpass the, the, the credit and a lot of people don't qualify when there's not a lot of employees. But if you're 10 plus employees or seven plus employees, then you should definitely look into it, especially if you're 20, 30, or 40. So, so I'm kind of hearing if you have seven or 10 employees, you probably qualify. If you have two or three employees, maybe it's not worth doing? Well, you it, you probably qualified, but you probably, the, the PPP out, when you have to subtract out the PPP funds, and that usually would be greater than what the credit would be. So, I mean, it's, it, it's just to rough it. Yeah, the, if you don't surpass a certain amount of employees, um, most likely that could have happened, but it's not a hundred percent, you yeah. know? And, and again, that's why you do the free consultation to find out if you qualify or not. And what's great, again, you're here in San Diego. You, you've been here in San Diego running your firm for what, 20 years? 20 years, yeah. yeah. You got, I, I met a lot of your attorneys, great attorneys. Uh, you run the firm very, very well. Thank you. Uh, very organized, great customer service. I want to say that as well. I mean, you guys do great with customer service, not just, I, I hate to say this, I'm probably getting in trouble, but there's some attorneys that, I'll just say they're not very nice. <laughs> and, and not very honest either. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> they say a bad lawyer is worse than a bad problem. Ooh, you know? so, say that again, a bad lawyer. A bad lawyer is worse than a bad problem. So if you have an issue and you go to a bad lawyer, he can make it 10 times worse. Yes, so it's, yes. it's really, you have to really make sure that you go to a right attorney because they could cause you a lot more problems. Uh, well, let, let's get the, the the website and the phone number again because again, we're talking about why people should call for the consultation. So I'm gonna ha probably ask you this throughout the show because people say, ah, "What was the What was the website? What's the the phone number?" Didn't get it. So can no you do it one time? So www.rjslawfirm.com and our phone number is six one nine seven 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 seventy seven hundred. And we talked a lot about business owners. You do have listed here uh, individuals, and there's not as much for the individual to do. Is there anything that maybe people would not be thinking about individually that they're missing on, on taxes? Well, obviously, you have your retirement accounts, 401K, right. and even just purchasing a home. You know, yeah. the mortgage deduction is great. So then, you, so then once you get your mortgage deduction, then you could itemize other deductions as well. So purchasing a home is big, or retirement accounts, 401Ks. Those are at least the, the basics for an individual who's a W-2 wage earner who doesn't own a house. Right. And I always tell people, if you're not putting in your 401k, you're missing the biggest and best deduction. I tell people, see, the only deduction that you get where you get to deduct that dollar and you keep that dollar. What 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 a concept. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's exactly. crazy. And if people just did that and they started when they were younger, they would have no problem come retirement time at all. I mean, it's just these are things that you need to do to save on taxes, to build your net worth and, and so forth. And buying the home can help as well because the benefit you get with the home is the leverage and the tax deduction. But there are limits on that now. Uh, what are those limits? Uh, kind of explain people those limits on the, the mortgage deduction. Well, the mortgage deduction, so with the Tax Deduct and Jobs Act, they lowered the, the interest amount. So it used to be up to a million dollars. If you had a loan up to a million dollars, you were able to deduct the interest uh, up to that million dollars. And they lowered that to $750,000. So... Um, but that's about a typical average, um, you know, mortgage in, in San Diego. And then they limited the state and local tax deduction to $10,000 per year. Okay. And, and then, and, and I'm, I'm going to ask you questions we don't talk about, just like we're having a conversation, yeah. not, not thousands of people listening right now. But do you have any feeling that's going to go away on the taxing? Because that was something that President Trump did, and those expire. In so 2025, they do expire. And if less they're extended, then they, yeah, they will disappear in 2025. 
does that mean that that 750 will go back to a million or be no limit on it? Uh, what is your, your thought on that? It's going to depend. I mean, for example, even the estate tax is, is, is real big. So we don't know what's going to happen at that point, but it would revert back. Um, I'm actually, I'm not 100% certain of what, sure. at what would happen at, when, when it expires. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the thing we, we kind of look at. Nobody really knows what's going to happen, but I, I, I have been thinking that saying, well, maybe, that if that expires, they'll just let that deduction go away. Because I think the, I don't want to get too political, but I think the Democrats didn't like that. They didn't want it to be limited. So I, I guess we'll see in 2025. Well, because it only affected the two high-tax states. You know, most yeah. of America didn't really get affected by that. But the two states that have real high taxes, New York and California, by limiting that state right. deduction or even just the housing limit with interest, um, you know, People in California or, or, or New York, you know, and that if you're a W-2 wage earner, then yes. But if you were a business owner in either of these states, the other tax benefits would surely outweigh the limitations on the on the state and local tax deduction yeah. with, if you're a business owner. But pure two, let's say two doctors, W-2 wage earners, then yeah, they would feel it. Yep. Yeah. But if they were investors, had property, had a business, then those the other deductions or tax incentives for those businesses would outweigh what you paid on the individual side. And, and the other thing too that's important too is build a relationship w with your firm or the attorneys at your firm because I always talk about this, having those professionals you can turn to because people tend to do stuff, then they ask the question that's too late. If you build a good relationship with a firm like yours, people can say, you know, I think I'm thinking about doing this as opposed to doing it, ask first your firm or an attorney at your firm saying, I'm thinking of doing this, it makes sense. If it does, like, great. If not, then don't do it. Exactly. And I, I think what m the most people in San Diego should do, first and foremost, b b b more, more important than a tax lawyer, is having a good person who prepares your taxes, a CPA. That's where a lot of people uh, don't spend enough money or go to H&R, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. saying anything negative about H&R Block, but, you know, that's for a W-2 wage earner, maybe something smaller. And again, I'm not saying anything negative about H&R Block, but if, if anyone who wants to try to save money in taxes, the best money spent is a good tax preparer, a CPA. You start there. Right. If a good CPA will know deductions, will help you, will advise you. And if it's above their pay grade, they'll refer you to a tax attorney. And then if you have some assets, then it's a combination of both, using a good CPA and a good tax attorney. And do you have CPAs at your firm? Yes, we do have CPAs okay. at our firm. But okay. we mainly focus on tax law and tax, but we right. don't prepare returns. We have a good relationship with a lot of CPA firms that we work with, and they, and we refer them to tax prep business. And then if it's tax planning, we kind of work together with them. And, and again, so important to build that relationship. And again, not to knock on an HR blocks. I think they do a fine job for, for some things. But I, I'm so big into building relationships with your attorney, with your CPA. Uh, just like with your doctor, you want a good doctor. I mean, you want these relationships so they know your situation. And, and you go to H and R Block, you may get Joe this this time, and then next year you may get Mary or something. I, I don't think you can build that relationship in H and R Block or these uh, tax. I don't want to say mill factories, yeah. but yeah, yeah, there's other ones out there besides H and R Block that they that, that's all they do is taxes, and and it's just you need to have that relationship with somebody that knows your situation. Yeah, and 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 the, and the cost of a CPA between them is not even much of a difference. Really? It's almost yeah. You you would think that these CPAs charge so much more, but they don't. You know, if you're a business owner, then you definitely need a good CPA to yeah. prepare your returns. You want someone that knows your situation uh, and that understands your situation. You build that relationship over time with them. Yes, oh, no, definitely. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about uh, what are some big uh, no-nos or red flags uh, you see in audits that a business owner should avoid. Yeah, um, 
So audits, and, and this could be a very long topic, can it? Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, audit red flags. I mean, I get that question all the time. I mean, it, anytime if you're going to have a business that's losing money every single year, that could raise a red flag. The IRS will come back and question, is this a business or is this some sort of hobby? A lot of people in California and San Diego like like to ride off their hobbies. They own horses and they start this business of, 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 of horse training. But it takes a loss year after year after year. That could be an audit red flag. You know, round numbers on a tax returns. Never round up, never round up, you know, 5,000, 7,000. Use exact numbers on your tax returns. And then anything oh, that's... Oh, oh, wait, so... Yeah, people actually, you say like, don't use 5,000, don't use 7,000. So people actually round to the thousands? Is that yeah. what you're saying? You'll like see it? a tax return, 5,000, 4,000. They'll just estimate their returns oh and put a total number. And that's kind of what caused the, the audit. Because they want to actually see like $5,422. Yeah. They, they want to see that because if not, that's a red flag. I yeah, think because that. yeah, you, you could you could assume it's not an accurate number if three, four categories are rounded to the dearest, you know, even dollar. I, I do have a degree in accounting. I'm, my basis is accounting. I can't imagine somebody doing that, but you're bringing it up because people actually do that, I guess is what you're saying. Yeah, they do. Wow. Okay. I, I, I just couldn't believe that, but don't do that. That's a big no-no. Yes. And, 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 and just, and charitable deductions, for example, if your charitable deductions are, uh, you know, a high percentage in comparison to your income, then there are some red flags. The IRS actually has this DIF score where they look at returns. DIF? What is DIF? D-I-F. Oh, DIF. It's called D-I-F. And that's their score that they score a return. So your tax return gets processed through the IRS and they're going to look and they'll see your income and they'll see, let's say your charitable deductions are really high in proportion to someone in that business or, or somebody making that kind of money. Then it gives you a, a score for that. And then they'll look at your um, uh, expenses on your return. And if they have all these, they, they used to do program audits where they have now some sort of data as to the average expenses of certain businesses in certain categories. So restaurants, let's say, have this percentage of labor, cost of goods, um, you know, rent expense. And so when now when the return kind of is not what the average is, is let's say across the country and things are kind of looking like outliers, then there'll be a score, a score, a score. And you keep adding. If there's a negative schedule C, you know, rounded numbers. And so as this diff score reaches a certain level, then that will trigger an audit. And the IRS is getting very creative. Um, the last three or four years, it was all about these program audits where they're aud auditing industries, every item in that industry, so they could learn what is a red flag and what is the average expenses for this business. So when they process returns in the future, if that th there's outliers, that would just cause them to double check and, and, and look at them. So there's certain things that people should do and shouldn't do to prevent those audits. Are there certain businesses that maybe get audited more than others? No, no, no it's all the no, same. Thing. Yeah. It's it's, this, it, this diff score, DIF is, yeah. is the big thing. That it, that's the really the main factor. I mean, there are probably some scheduled random audits that just will just come, right. you know, based of, uh, on random selection, but the IRS is a bit more strategic in that. Um, they will, it will be mainly something on the return is not looking right. Either losses every year, mm -hmm. you know, just, ex, you know, excessive expenses that don't, you know, corroborate with other businesses similar in the industry. And whatever they're, pro, you know, what they've done in the past, they've created these formulas that give them indications. And then if they could be right, they could be wrong. They just need more. And then the other biggest thing that causes um, audits is the X factor, the ex-wife, the ex-business partner. You know, usually there's some dispute and they call the IRS. And if they, they get a complaint about someone doing something shady on their tax returns, the IRS will open up an audit. I, I, I've heard that if you actually do report somebody for shady things, 
that the IRS will look at them, but they also look at that person doing the report. Is that true? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, they probably will. I mean, I don't think they're just going to take someone who reports them and not look at them. But I mean, I don't think it's, you know, it should be a deterrent. Um, You know, if there's some inner relationships between the parties, if there's something that would cause that. But if they're completely unrelated, um, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. Right. And I I know that, that you actually do go to the IRS for your clients who actually, you know, represent them and so forth. Uh, what is that like? I mean, is that pretty easy? I mean, I just, I wouldn't want to do it, but I mean, can you kind of explain what happens when you do that? For yeah. You? Well, an IRS audit, I mean, it does seem scary, but you know, majority of the IRS is, is, is really not that bad. You really? know, yeah. I mean, majority of the agents are, 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 are fair and reasonable. They're not this big bad wolf. There are these aggressive agents on collections or there could be mm-hmm. aggressive auditors out there. And like in any profession, there's always the good and the bad. But overall, if you work with the IRS in good faith, you have an audit, you provide the documents, you go in an organized fashion, you answer their questions, and you provide the you know the the receipts and the source documents for what you have in an organized fashion, it's just kind of a double check. They're double checking to make sure that what you're writing off, you should have wrote off, and you have the proof of it, and it's just not all made up. Um, and so you, it could go back and forth. There are three types of audits. There's correspondence audits, where those are the ones you just get in the mail. There's something on the return that looks funny, something you didn't have it missing at 1099. There's something that they're questioning on it, and you could just respond via mail. Those are right. correspondent. Then they have office audits where you go into the IRS, and those are a lot quicker. You go in to have a meeting. They'll look at a year's worth of exp- uh, uh, on your return. You provide the expenses, and that is a lot easier than they have field audits. Those are the ones that are a little more detailed. There's an agent. They'll come to your place of business or wherever your books and records are, and they'll go over all of your expenses. That one sounds scary. The field audit, like, oh, the IRS it is. is at the door. That's not what you want to hear. Huh? Exactly. I mean, but with a tax professional handling it and being the middleman, it's always best to have a tax professional help you in an audit right. because these agents are going to ask you questions, and you're going to be talking to a federal agent. And what if you make a little mistake, and then it's all of a sudden becomes a right. false statement to a federal agent? So it's good to have a buffer between you and an auditor. Not because you have anything to hide, because of that nervousness, because, you know, it's the IRS. And again, if you make a mistake and say something wrong, they that could be a, a crime. Right. And so and then you don't want it. So you don't want to actually talk to the auditors. So, so they do. And I don't think this happens very often, but it does happen. They show up at your your door saying we're here for an IRS audit. Just say, hold on, let me call my CPA or my tax attorney first. Is that what they do? What do you do? Well, on IRS audits, different than collections. If you owe money they and it's a large enough amount, that's right. when they'll knock on your door, show you their card, and say, hi, I'm agent so-and-so, and you have this liability. And they like to go knock on the door first and, 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 and hand you their initial docs because that's their kind of way to make it look like it's serious. In that case, you take their card, you say, thank you very much. <clears throat> Um, I can't speak to you right now, but I have your business card and I will give you a call on Monday. I'll talk to my accountant or my, my, whoever helps me with my books and records and I'll give you a call back. I would not talk to a revenue officer if they come knocking on your door on the audit side, they usually just send a letter and that says you are this year, this tax return is subject to uh, examination and then you'll just reply back. So they don't knock on your door for audits. They just knock on your door when you owe them money or if it's a criminal case. Right. And, and, it, and it sounds very scary. It sounds like it's not if you know what you're doing because you've done this many times with your clients. But for the average person or the average business person, like, oh, my gosh, this is very scary. 
you you kind of handle this. Yeah, I mean, it is a scary time. I mean, nobody wants to be audited. You have the IRS looking at your books and records. But if it's handled professionally and you just do this, you it, it it's not that bad. You just, um, you know, you work with them. You just provide the docs. Right. And then with an attorney, if you have an attorney, you made mistakes on the return. And let's say you don't have all the receipts and so forth. Because a lot of people don't. You know, right. and a lot of, you know, they either they skimp a little bit or, or add stuff or whatever it may be. So if you have somebody as a middleman before you, you just provide them that. And if there's a mistake, hopefully it was just a mistake. You pay the tax on it um, and you just move forward. And that's kind of the goal is to kind of get in and get out. All right. And give your phone number and website again, because people are saying, yeah, maybe I need to talk to this guy, Ronnie, because I, I, I think I need to talk to him <laughs> again. Website and phone number again. Website is www.rjslawfirm.com. And my phone number is 619-777-7700. And I do see your billboards all around San Diego. I think you have one right outside of a Snapdragon Stadium up on the hill. Is that still there? Yeah, it's still there. Yeah, yeah I just changed it. <laughs> yeah, right around 15, I think it is, right? But my handsome face is not on, your, my face is not as handsome as yours. Oh, I don't God. have my face on the billboards. So. <laughs> you should do that. I mean, because the reason why my face is on the billboard, I learned a long time ago in investing, is that people want to know who you are and to trust you. And that's why, you know, my face and Chase's face is on the billboard. Um, I just think, and, and I, I've known you for many, many years. You're very trustworthy. You've got a, you're a handsome guy. You, you got a good looking face. I mean, you're, you know, so it just, I think it kind of makes that sense that people kind of see who you are and trust is, is very important in both our businesses. Yeah, no, it does. I mean, it gives yeah. that personal touch. I mean, I used right. to do my face, you know, every now and then, but because people don't want to just see a, a, you know, business. It yeah. matches that. Make, they let, lets them get to know you a little better and know who you are. Right. And I didn't ask you ahead of time, so I'll ask you now. You don't have to if you don't want to. I, I was going to say if it would be okay to open the lines for people to call in and ask you questions. I got, I got a lot more questions here for you. Yeah, I would love that. Love yeah, that. Okay. I definitely love talking okay. to you. So, so uh, if you have questions for Ronnie here, the phone numbers are 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. could be a trust you know, state tax question could be a income tax question. I mean, you cover many, many different areas there. So 833-288-0973. I mean, I was at your office. Uh, you have even people that deal, and I forget her name, I apologize, but she dealt with the international yes. uh, situation. Uh, what if a taxpayer wants to invest internationally or wants to open a bank account in a foreign country? I mean, I, I didn't even think about this, but, but how about that? Well, that's a great question. So international tax, it's a big deal. I mean, if you look at America, we're a melting pot of nationalities. There are so many people here that live here and have a family member, a grandma, an aunt that live in some foreign country. And let's say they pass away or they have an account or they came. And so foreign accounts is very, very common. The sad thing is you have to report. If you don't report having a foreign account, the penalties are severe. If you don't, say again. If so you, if you have a foreign account right. and you have, let's say, greater than $10,000 in it and you have signature authority on it and you don't report that you have this foreign account, then you, the penalties are substantial Ooh, and okay. severe. And people don't realize that they have programs where if you've had foreign accounts and let's say you have all these foreign accounts and you didn't know it's sitting in my grandma gave you 200 grand in Germany and you've had this account for 10 years and you never reported it. And you want to come clean and you want to report it. There are programs right now where you could report that it's a very, very small penalty and you could become compliant. So many people, when they don't report it, they let it, they let it 
accumulate year after year because they're like, oh my God, I haven't reported it last year, so I'm never going to report this. <laughs> Not a good idea. I'm no, <laughs> just come forward because the penalties are severe because there's always a lot of international fraud and people hiding money in, uh, offshores. So they have these ability to hit you strongly if they choose to. But compliance is very key. And it's just simple as just filling out some forms, going through a little program, saying, you know, I've had these foreign accounts. I've never reported them, uh, but I want to come clean. And you you come clean. And it's very recommended. There used to be two types of program. There used to be this offshore voluntary disclosure program, which you could have been a tax cheat committing fraud internationally. And they would forgive you with a bigger penalty. Really? Wow. Yeah. And then they cut that program. And now they have the streamlined disclosure program, which is a small, either a 5% penalty or a 0% penalty, depending on on whether you live here or live offshore, but it's, it's, it's good to come compliant. The government, I tell you the one thing I love about the IRS, if you come to them and you amend, you come clean, you ask for penalties to be abated, they will forgive you. My class that I teach at USD law school is tax penalties. And the number one lesson I tell my students is if you have a penalty with IRS or the state, ask for a penalty abatement. Our, the state and feds will work with you. Come forward. You haven't filed in five or 10 years. Go to someone, get it cleaned up, file. If you got penalties, they'll abate them. If you owe money, you could potentially settle it with an offer and compromise. You could get on a payment plan. It's better to face your issues than to just keep running in the sand because it will, it, 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 it's the government will work with you. Believe it or not, the IRS abates penalties all day long. If you just tell them I made a mistake, I'm sorry, you have some good cause. They will forgive you. So compliance is key. Right. And, and and that is very important because I think people just want to try to maybe hide things and not do it. Sometimes it's best just to face the music and say, look, I screwed up here. Uh, I apologize. How can we work on this? And and you're saying that they're not all of them are bad people. I mean, they have families. They, you know, just like you and I, they will kind of talk to you. But, yeah. you, but you've got to be up front. You can't be sneaky or try to screw them. You try to screw them, they're going to... <laughs> it's not going to go well. No, it doesn't. If you work with them in good faith, believe it or not, they will work with you. You got some tough agents like you have in any profession. You know, you've got some agents that are out of control. Right. But it is what it is. There's protocols. If they are, you could you have you have protections. You could go to their manager. You could go to the territory manager. You could even file a complaint with the third. You know, TIGDA is a an, an, another agency that oversees the IRS. Is that TIGDA? TIGDA. It's called the Treasury Inspector General. Uh, T I G uh, for tax T I G T A TICTA T I G T A. They are the oversight of the IRS. They're, so if you have a complaint with an IRS agent, you file a TICTA complaint, and they will actually review and and make sure that this agent was treating you fairly. They're basically the yeah. oversight of the IRS. I've never heard that before. So yeah. again, new information. T I G T A. Yes, didn't even know they they existed there. Yeah, you got um, a you know an agent that's out of control, and they're doing something that says unethical because you know there's. They, they could come out of any any agency, then you do have resources to be able to report oh, that person. That's good. Besides and, within the IRS. And do you recommend that somebody go to this themselves, the audit themselves, or, or should they have a tax attorney or CPA with them? You know, what, what do you think there? If you have a perfect set of books and records, you have, a let's say, a general ledger, you have all your receipts, everything is organized, everything is perfect, then, yeah, individuals could handle audits on themselves. Just go in there and, and, and give them the books and records. And if you, everything is clean, if there's mistakes or you have poor books and records, um, then that I think at that point you would need help. But if everything is super squeaky clean and you have a good set of accounting and the income matches up and you have receipts for everything and you've then 
you could you could handle it yourself. I, I'm surprised you said that because I, I would think it'd be dangerous because you may have everything in order, but what if you get one, an agent that you know is really pretty smart? Could they trick you into saying things or do things that maybe you said the wrong thing? I mean, I I would be, I would never do that myself, and I think our records are in fine shape, but I would be concerned if I wouldn't know what I'm doing. It's like when people manage their money, they don't know what they're doing half the time. Uh, same thing here. I mean, you go in that audit, it could be a problem, even though your records are in fine shape. Right. That's a great question. So the question prior to this was, could you? So the answer is yes. Could you handle your audits? Do I recommend it? No. And the reason okay. is just like you said, you know, even though you have good books and records, everything is perfect. Yes. You have that opportunity where they're going to ask you a lot of questions that may open up other years to being audited. Or again, just ha doing it yourself, getting nervous, answering these questions. Was this an ordinary necessary business expense? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? So just anytime dealing with the IRS, if it's if your books are squeaky clean, then having that buffer will just make it quick and easy. So yes, you could handle audits yourself, but yeah, as a practical kind of business aspect, nobody wants to sit and get interviewed by an IRS agent because you don't know if they're asking you relevant questions or not, whether they're trying to open this up and do a three-year audit, it could be a potentially a six-year your audit and then they'll start asking you maybe a lot of questions about some of your vendors some of the other people that you deal with and then that's when it gets tricky oh you have a contract with your brother oh who, who would you buy this from and so then sometimes you can get caught up even though you're doing something legal you, you, you're buying things from a you know someone that you know but you're deducting it they're picking it up as income so there are so many things where just in a nutshell yes if you could afford to have an attorney you know help you with it then yes it's always best to have a lawyer handle an IRS dealing with any IRS agent than yourself. But if, you know, if you can't afford it and you want to do it, then I have seen people successful handling it themselves. Yeah. Kind of dangerous. Though. And I guess the question is, could you or should you? Is, uh, is yeah, that, exactly. Is there. Um, and one thing I'm looking at too is, and I think now things are kind of changing. People used to put money in like the Cayman Islands. I've heard now they're using Cook Islands. Is this you know, a place that you can get around paying taxes and hide your assets? No, no. no. So there, there's no way to, because it, oh, it came in islands. That, that, that's a... <laughs> a lot of books about okay. it. <laughs> a lot of books. Movies probably, Movies, right? yeah, yeah. John Christian books, yeah. <laughs> so there is no way to hide your money in Cook Island or I Cayman mean, there, there is a lot. There's some international things that there's some tax savings you could do and, 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 and you know, not to beleaguer the point now, but there, there are some tax benefits to in, in, investing offshore, but as far as minimizing tax or just not having that, then no, just like any sort of tax planning, like buying, you know, there's some planning to that, you know, like investing in the Middle East, you know, there's a lot of people investing in Dubai right now. It's a real right. hot market uh, for real estate. And um, there are some tax benefits in buying real estate there. And, um, it's, a, it's, it's just been a big thing for some of my wealthy clients that are just, you know, buying, a few, throwing a little bit of money over there and buying, right. a, you know, a residence over there and renting it out and making money and actually, you know, saving some money on taxes. As you, you know me, I'm very conservative with investing. It just scares me to invest my money like in Dubai or someplace overseas. Like, I, I just worries me. I, I just like to buy American companies is what I like to do. Uh, yeah, me too. I'm biased like that too. And yeah. even me, I'm even more biased if it's real estate. I like it even in just San I Diego. <laughs> I, I would tell people, you're a big real estate guy. You know, I'm a big equity guy. So, they, you know, we, we, we deal with that. But I, I do want to ask you too, uh, this, you have something that's here 
FBAR rules. What is FBAR rules? FBAR. So those are your, so that's basically the foreign bank account reporting requirements. So that is, that was what we just talked about earlier. If you have a foreign bank account, you have greater than $10,000 in that account, or you have, you're the beneficial owner, you have signature authority on this account, then you must file a form every year, which is that FBAR form on your taxes uh, with, with your tax returns, which basically reports that account. And so if you don't, then you get these FBAR penalties. So that, mm, and okay. so that's what tied us into our international tax discussion. A lot, if anyone out there that's listening, you have a foreign bank account, you haven't told your accountant, and you just have signature 10, 20,000, 30,000 sitting in some account all these years, never reported on your tax returns. You should just come compliant. You file a few amended returns. You pay a small little penalty, 5% on the balance of whatever the account is and you could come clean and you start reporting that account every year. But the government, and the reason why they have that is because see in America, all banks have to report to the IRS. Right. But if you are, have a foreign bank, they don't have those, they don't have the reporting requirements to the, to the, to the United States. So what they do is they shift the burden on you, the taxpayer to tell them, I have this account in Switzerland or in Germany. So because they don't have the protocol. So the, and they, the burden is on you to provide the information. They want to know the account, how much money is in there, mm. and all the information on it. They want to know any of your foreign accounts. As long as they know the government, when I say they, the IRS, they're happy. As long as you just tell them. There's no, no crime in having a money offshore. A lot of people think, oh, my God, I don't want them to know they're going to audit me. They're going to think I'm doing something wrong. This is, again, this is America. Everybody's come here from foreign countries. All of us have you know, cousins and aunts, or we've left and left our accounts or go back and forth, uh, inherit things, businesses, you know, money, properties. And so compliance is, is, is key and they do forgive you. All you got to do is just come forward. Come forward. I, I keep kind of hearing that. Just come forward, be honest, be upfront, because if you try to hide stuff, that's when I think you open the can of worms and cause yourself more problems by trying to hide stuff as opposed to being upfront. Yeah. You just amend return. What have you made a mistake today and you came in and let's say you're underreporting your, your income for three or four years. You can't sleep at night. You know, you've done it and you just don't want to see and, and it's, 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 it's keeping you up at night then all you got to do is just amend your tax return. You don't have to right. put any reason why, and you fix it. Or again, if you had a, an account, anything that you've done wrong, if before they come looking for you, if you fix it and ask for it, and they'll even actually mm. fix it and not even penalize you for it. Because wow. you show your good faith and say, oh, I amended and I fixed it and I, there, there was some good cause that caused it. Now you don't have any penalties over it. Well, well let's change gears here a little bit and talk about payroll taxes. I know some business owners get behind on payroll taxes. Uh, what can they expect if the IRS comes knocking on their door about the payroll taxes? So payroll taxes is big for businesses. If you are withholding payroll taxes for individuals and you're a corporation, then they could end up holding the individuals who own the corporation personally liable for those corp for those payroll taxes. It's one of those taxes that businesses stop paying when they get behind because it's that big check that they withdraw all the payroll taxes from their employees' wages and they don't hand it over to the IRS. Mm -hmm. So they end up getting behind. If you're ever getting behind on payroll taxes, it's serious um, and it's good to get in, in front of it immediately. And if you get in front of it, contact the IRS, you know, get an attorney to help you and say, look, I've missed two, three quarters of this. And I just want to get on a payment plan and I want to get back on my feet again. They'll work with you. Otherwise, they could hold you personally responsible and assess you personally 
um, for those taxes. Uh, I see you have here listed trust fund assessment. What, what are you talking about there? So that's it's called the trust fund recovery penalty. So if, for, for a business that owes payroll taxes, if they're a corporation, if you're an individual, you own a business as a Schedule C and you owe payroll taxes, you owe those payroll taxes individually. If you're a corporation, people think that the corporation shields them from uh, owing these uh, payroll taxes. So they'll accrue all these payroll taxes. What the IRS could do is they um, assess you the trust fund recovery penalty, which is basically saying we're going to hold an individual personally liable for the payroll taxes that this corporation owes. And that's the it's called the trust fund recovery penalty. And why they call it the trust fund, they're saying that you as the employer, you're holding these taxes in trust for the government. You're taking it out of their paycheck and you're giving it to them at the end of the year. So when they these individuals file their taxes, they're getting their money back. So because of that, we are gonna do, do a recovery penalty against you personally corporations do not shield individuals from these taxes. And, and you, you talk about the Schedule C, you talked about the corporations, uh, S-corporations, you didn't mention them. Uh, what about the S-corps? Is there any difference with those? Well, that, yeah, that would be S-corp or C-corp, any form entity. C-corp and S are the same. Yes. Thing. Well, okay. yeah, What the, the for, the, for, the, for the trust fund recovery penalty. So if you are Schedule C, you're an individual, you owe the money just because your business is kind of in your individual name. But if you operate through an S-corp or a C-corp or even an LLC, then they could they could pierce that corporate veil and go after you individually for those taxes. So you can't kind of run from can't it. Can't hide behind that. Not can't not on payroll right. tax because it's not your money. Right. The government says you're holding this money for us, and so therefore we're not going to let you use a corporation to shield you from liability. Okay. Well, I, I see we got a, a question here from uh, Anthony in San Diego about international real estate. Uh, Anthony, you on this morning vest show with uh, Brent and uh, actually Ronnie here with me. How can we help you out this morning? Well, first of all, just what a great show. I've learned so much in this last uh, you know, uh, hour or so, so incredible um, knowledge that you both are sharing. Thank you. Um, my, question is, uh, my question is in terms of international real estate. So um, that was interesting about international accounts, but uh, my, my father-in-law, for example, um, you know, it's a classic American success story, comes here, works as a janitor, pays uh, you know, his, his homes off in uh, you know, these little pueblos in Mexico. Well, now, fast forward, you know, 40-something years later, um, how, how is that, um, if he, now he wants to sell them, um, how would that be treated? Um, it's simply, if, if it hasn't occurred yet, we're planning to assist him in selling them, but how would that be treated tax-wise? So was he reporting all of this annually every year? I mean, was there any? No. <laughs> okay. You know. Uh, um, Does he have you know, a foreign again, bank account? I I'm not sure. I well to give you to give so. you a nutshell, just because it's the radio show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean it's it's it happens all the time. So you you could, you know. So what you'd want to do is want to see if there's any compliance issues that we have to see if whether to get them compliant. You could get that individual compliant right away. Once they're compliant. <laughs> And you file that, then it's as simple as selling the assets, moving the money over here, and bringing it over. And there'll still be really? some, yeah. And there's, there's, you know, there's, yeah. It's really that easy. I mean, I get people to call me all the time. I have these assets. I haven't reported it, and I've been sitting there. We get them cleaned up. You sell them. You transfer the money. You do it all above board, and you wire the funds over. And, and Ronnie, you have, you have international attorneys actually Good deal time. with that, correct? Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, is that love it? That help you out, so much. Yeah, yeah, tell them not yeah, to worry. Very much and- so. We were really stressing, and you know they're elderly now, and um, you know there's a lot of well, what do we do? How do we do this? You know, and uh, 
Thank you so much. Really appreciate that. Yeah, it's that, a, it's a lot brighter than you think. I mean, talk to a, a tax lawyer. This way, you have the uh, the privilege of knowing that you know these assets haven't say been reported. But it'd be a good to get it done before death because then you could either move the money or you could at least report it and. And then now they're compliant and it could even be a part of your estate plan and they don't even have to get rid of it, but at least it's within the system and the government knows about it. Beautiful. Thank you guys. Really and, appreciate that. And Anthony, I'd recommend you give Ronnie a call if you want to he talk to tax <laughs> but he's the one I recommend. So, <laughs> you know, uh, Absolutely. I love the S-Core uh, advice he was sharing a little bit or the differences. Um, you know, I just started a small business in um, semi-retirement recently, and so I've been eagerly soaking up the information you've been sharing today. Good. good. Well, thank you. Good luck to you, my friend. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, guys. Bye. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. All right. Uh, that does open up the phone line, 833-288-0973. But I looked over. Gosh, Ronnie, we only got four minutes left. Let's again, uh, especially for Anthony and other people, uh, your website, your phone number again, so we don't forget that. So my website is www.rjslawfirm.com, and my phone number is 619-777-7700. All right. Uh, one more question I have here that uh, I want to get to. Actually, the other one's here, but uh, <laughs> there's been a lot of abuse of government assistance during covid uh, are you seeing a lot of PPP, ERTC audits coming to your firm? Any advice for business owner individuals who is going to go through one? Yes. Yeah, so, yes, I am seeing a lot of it. So my, my, my firm handles not only civil tax matters, but also criminal tax investigations. So, yes, the government is out there prosecuting individuals who have committed PPP fraud, the EIDL or those uh, economic disaster relief loans. Um, restaurant revitalization loans, like anything, there are individuals who are lying on their um, lying on the, on the forms. Let's say, for example, the EIDL loans. If you didn't have the the reduction in sales, you wouldn't qualify. And there's individuals who re, 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 would lie and basically reduce their sales in excess to qualify. So there are criminal prosecutions out there right now charging people. And I've represented a lot of them in some criminal cases and some of them have been indicted. I've you know managed to get resolve a lot of them civilly, um, but there are cases that end up becoming so large that they, they, they end up indicting on. But again, standard that I talked about before, if you or anyone have committed this fraud and it's keeping you up at night and you've obtained these funds, and you're worried about it and you want to come clean, there are ways you could fix it on your own. That's, but it is, but they are prosecuting people. Because like in anything, there was all these billions of dollars that came out. So right. people were just filling out these apps and you know getting this money. They didn't even have a business and so forth. So like anything, there was a lot of fraud and they are cracking down on it very heavily right now. And it sounds like it's best to have them come to you first and say, hey, I, I screwed this up as opposed to waiting for them to contact you because then I think you said it goes litigation. I mean, it, is, it sounds like it'd get really a problem if you don't deal with it early. Yes. I mean, it's, you know, even if they, you know, obviously if they get you first you, and you get a good lawyer and you, you know, let's say, you know, fix it right away and work with them and try to say it was a mistake and fix it right away, that, that could help. But yes, it's better if you have something that's keeping you up at night and you're worried about it. Um, it's good to go talk to a tax lawyer to see this is what I did. You know, what is the chances of me getting audited or if I did, is this criminal? Is this not? And, you know, how to fix it. And if you want, you know, 
but again, like anything, it's it's good to fix things first. Yeah, take care of it first before they do it. Ronnie, you've been very helpful to people today. Some great information, things I didn't even know about that uh, you shared with us. So I, I thank you for taking your time to do this today. And uh, any closing thoughts that you have? To, no, to it's just us? it's been an honor to be on your show. I mean, I've been listening to your show for years, and it, and and when you asked me to be on it, I was humbled and honored to be on here. You're one of the you're one of the individuals that I um, have the most respect for in this area. Well, great. Well, thank you very much, Ronnie. Again, thank you for having us. One more time on your phone number website. 619-777-7700 or www.rjslawfirm.com. All right. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purpose only. It should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself, Brent Wilson or Chase Wilson at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or visit our website, Smart investing2000.com smartinvesting2000.com have a great weekend we'll be more uh, we'll be back next week on the smart investing show to think that I did all that and may I say